Hey, hey, this is John Goldman, and you're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. Uh, listening to us on Radio Harbor Country, and that's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ out of Sawyer, Michigan. Happy to uh, welcome my guest today, Johnny Iguana from the Claudettes, a uh, Chicago-based band, and they're going to be playing at the Acorn Theater on um, it's May 6th. Um, and uh, looking forward to hearing him today, talking to him today. I want to play you one of um, one of my favorite ones of them. I, I've seen him up here. I saw him at the livery a couple of years ago, and uh, looking forward to actually getting to talk to Johnny Iguana. He's the piano player for the group, and uh, it's a three-piece band with uh, Johnny Iguana on the piano and a bass player and a singer. Uh, here they are with uh, Tremblin' Blues, but this is before they had a singer on them with them. Uh, but this is a good example of the kind of music that they're going to be playing.
And that's the Claudettes. That was their song, Trembling Blues, from, uh, I'm sorry, in, <laughs> geez. That's, uh, tr- yeah, that is Trembling Blues from their album, Infernal Piano Plot Hatched. That's their 2013 album. And I was wrong. It, uh, the uh, Johnny Iguana is on piano, but there's no bass player. It's, he's, a, he's a drummer, and he's very instrumental, no pun intended, in, uh, in the music that's played. Uh, and back when I saw him, when they came out with that album in 2013, there was a woman with them, but uh, she did not sing. She went around the stage and um, just kind of uh, acted out the the essence of the songs, I think. So I'm looking forward to talking to Johnny and getting a better idea of uh, what kind of band he's got put together now and uh, looking forward to it. I'll play one more song for you. Uh, this one is one of their latest releases, Time Won't Take Our Times Away. Here we go. The Claudettes.
And I have Johnny Iguana with me. Uh, Johnny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. You too. Um, looking forward to seeing you at the Acorn Theater. I think that's on May 6th. Am I correct about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our drummer has, has played there, and it's actually funny. The uh, Actually, May 7th is the date to see Okay, all right. Thank you. So that's a Saturday. I just uh, double-checked your work there on our website. <laughs> Assuming my website's correct, yeah, May 7th. I'm guessing um, it is. I, our drummer has, has played there before, uh, but I, I have not. I've, I've known of it for, for years, and, and, um, and so the, I know it's just kind of a stone throw from Chicago, so kind of surprised I haven't played there. But uh, a guy that has been booking in Chicago for years just started booking there um, for the future. He didn't actually book us for this, but it's a guy we've known for years here who's booking Fitzgeralds and and some festivals and uh, another another venue in town here has has just taken it over. So it's got a real Chicago connection. Yeah, it sure does. You know, um, and we're only about an hour hour and twenty outside of the city. So yeah, without traffic, I guess I should say. But uh, yeah, right. you know, it, and there's a lot of uh, second homeowners up here and that kind of thing. But it's you know, in a couple of years, it'll be kind of considered a, a suburb of Chicago at this point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's everything's just becoming yeah. closer and easier to get to. Uh, is this the same well, drummer well, with that the hovercraft and all? Right. That's right. Yeah, with the hovercraft. <laughs> <laughs> is this the same drummer that you uh, had with your first album? Yep. Yep. As a matter of fact, Michael Kasky and I formed the group together about a decade ago, um, and we it was really meant to be a, a kind of challenge to ourselves to see if we can make an album and play a whole show that's entertaining and musically rich that's just piano and drums. And part of that was I've, I've played so many different keyboard instruments and bands, I just wanted to keep, keep it simple and have the variation come from kind of the world of harmony and less from just gadgets and, 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 and you know, tweaking sounds and stuff and just yeah. keep it elemental that way. I and mean, we, we both love classical and all kind, all manner of roots music. And so um, that made good sense to us anyway. But it started off with an attempt to be kind of a blues group, but, but we both love so much stuff. I mean, from classical to punk and everything in between that it just kind of emerged as its own thing. Yeah. And you on piano, uh, you know, you are, um, you know, you're creating music that is more than just typical piano music. And now that I'm getting a sense of what your background is and the kind of music you like, I can hear it in that that early music. I remember, and I mentioned this just before we got on, that I remember seeing you at a place up here called The Livery, and it was you and Michael, the the, the drummer, and you had a, a woman who didn't sing but was sort of present on stage, but it was all you, the two of you making the music. And... Uh, just yeah. rocking music, you know, just foot pounding yeah, kind of music. We always ask the Fun. people that are running sound that if a band we're on the bill with has like two guitars and bass and drums and whatever, that like when we go up there with just piano and drums, we're, we're supposed to be a full band. It's, this is no lounge act, you know, so so treat us the same way. Consider my piano to be a Marshall stack if you have to. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so so yeah we 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 were really dynamic group but when we get loud we do, we do want to get loud you yeah know, we, we mean business and, and you were mentioning that your present setup is 180 percent different than it was back in 2012 2013 when you were 
um, putting out that first album, um, yep. Infernal Piano Plot Hatched. Yes, Infernal Piano Plot Hatched. Uh, and so, what's your current uh, makeup of the band? You know, and how did it develop into that? Well, you know, over time, I, I, I decided, as much as we were piano centered, I, I really missed, and I could hear in my head. I wanted not just some kind of string sound, but but really slide. I, I was hearing I was hearing slide in my head as a, as a addition I wanted to make. And I asked my my friend Zach Verdorn, who I'd played with on on some tours before, and I was a fan of him and his band. Um, he moved here from South Dakota and he was living in Chicago. I, I asked him to join the group and he actually quickly came up with the idea of using an instrument called the bass six, which is kind of is similar to a baritone guitar. It's a six string uh, bass that's strung an octave higher than a bass. So the, the strings are a little... Like in between a guitar and a bass? A little thinner. Uh-huh. But the, the cool thing is you can play down in the low range and it might not go as low as, you know, especially, I mean, I don't know if it goes as low as a four-string bass. I should know this, but um, I believe it's a, it hits a low E, but it goes a lot higher than a bass. Um, and so you can you can kind of, um, you know, you can kind of cover a lot of ground where, where he can be within a song and from song to song. He can kind of play the role of bass player or guitar player. And so it's really, it's fun that, like, he and I sort of switch who, who's, who is the bass player in terms of the role of what we're doing in a particular section or song. So, um, but it's really cool. He can, it's a really great sound and it covers a lot of ground and it goes great with the piano. It's a little thinner than a bass. And the, since I play with a lot of low end out of big speakers, it, it was, I think he thought it was going to be a little too kind of tubby and sludgy to have just bass with it. So he does do bass guitar in some songs, but the principal instrument of the group is, is the bass six. And so, and he's a great singer too, which is always um, a benefit to having a band. I feel like when a band has two singers, it's like the band seems to double in size from one from just one singer, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. There's just something about those those harmonies, and a lot of groups in the past obviously have really particularly prioritized um, golden harmonies as like their centerpiece of their group. And and um, around the same time, I invited Zach to join the group. I had met this singer in Chicago, Barrett, who was in a band with a with a friend, and she was singing backup in a country band. But he said, "Man, I've heard her sing." just kind of belted out and he said she's really good and i found that really to be true uh, immediately when she came over and i had some demos uh we did some demos and um to my you know great pleasure she was like available and had a flexible job and was able to tour and so so we recorded with her first and zach first in 2018 a record then and then we did the 2021 that was doomed like everyone else's records yeah. in, a, in a certain way um but now we but we spent our our pandemic uh not live streaming and clowning around in front of the camera but digging into writing and we've got an album and a half of new stuff now so we we're just kind of on a tear and do you write a lot of the music or do you, do you guys do it as a full band i do write everything i write the the music and the words uh-huh. um and then and then you know zach and michael will come over and and toss around some specific you know ideas and sure. parts and stuff but usually i present the chords and melodies and, and words and uh how long have you been playing the piano since you were since, a kid that kind of thing yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. from age eight to thir- eight eight to 13 i had classical piano lessons and then from 13 on i was in bands and first like everybody else i was in a cover band but for me that only lasted about a year before we were writing our own stuff and then then my uncle right when i was into like punk and new wave and stuff when i was a kid my, my uncle sent me some really good blues and r&b and and i just kind of um 
got obsessed with Chicago blues in particular, and Junior Wells was a hero of mine. And oh, yeah. After, after he sent me one of his records, and to my delight and amazement, when I moved to New York City, I ended up meeting Junior at a time where he needed a piano player. You're I, kidding. I, wow. I, I auditioned live in Boston at the House of Blues, which was new, and, uh, and got that gig and moved out here, and I thought I'd be out here two or three years, but I've been out here more than 20 years now. So you're still in Boston while everyone else is in Chicago? Are, aren't you guys based out of Chicago, the Claudettes? Yeah, we're in, we're in Chicago. I moved from New York City. That's ah, right. I'm okay. actually from Philadelphia, and I was living in New York when I met Junior and moved out here. And No one in the Claudettes is actually from Chicago, but we all live here. I'm from East Coast, and the singer's from, she's from Minneapolis, and Zach, I mentioned, he's from South Dakota, and Michael's from Michigan, but we all live here. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Uh, and so when was that with Junior Wells? I mean, that must have been a hell of an experience to be able to play with one of your uh, heroes like that. Yeah, I've told a lot of people the story of being really blessed that I almost completed my, my triumvirate of triumphs, which is when I was a teenager, I would say my three biggest heroes were Mike Watt from Minutemen, and Firehose, who's a bass player, kind of one of the great American punk rock musicians, a bass player in particular, um, and Joe Strummer of The Clash and, and Junior Wells. And I ended up joining the Junior Wells band, and um, my, I had a band called Oh My God, and we opened up for Mike Watt on his tour, and on, on a separate occasion, he and his band slept at my house. And, and on his blog, one of his bandmates said that out of their whole tour, which was like 60 shows, that we were the, their favorite band that we played with. And so, like, I'm like, I got to play this great show with, with one hero, and I joined the band of the other. Yeah. As, far as, Joe Strummer, as far as Joe Strummer goes, my band, Oh My God, was on a really short list to open up for Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros at Metro in Chicago when he, when he died. So I, was, oh, I, man. Felt, I felt cheated in every way, being that I, I, he was a real hero of mine, and I felt like I was very close to being in that little warren of, of green rooms they have at the Metro, the Metro there, and just walking past Joe Strummer and <laughs> talking to him. I just pictured the whole thing in my little, like, you, in a fanboy head. Right, right. You know, and, but almost. Almost, right. Do, do you have any, do, have you developed any new goals? I mean, you know, you pretty much accomplished some of your early goals. Oh, they're just my own now, <laughs> you know. I just, there's this piano player named Chili Gonzalez, who's a composer, and he does a lot of collaborations, and he just tours around the world playing theaters as like kind of a bizarre blues, classical, jazz, wild man piano player. And I was like, I'm like, I want to do that. I want to just get like, I want to take two years to just develop something really out there that's also really me and be able to like have, you know, symphony centers and performing arts centers all over the world want to book me. That would be my next. All right. Well, there you go. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work that goes into that. Just haven't gotten there yet. That's all. Not quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Did, when did you start uh, writing songs? And uh, as we mentioned, your first album is all instrumental, I'm pretty sure. And mm -hmm. uh, so when did you start writing lyrics to go with your songs? Was that? Uh, well, I mean, I've been doing that um, for more than 20 years. I had met this band, Oh My God, that I had. We toured a lot. We were kind of like, I would say, Medesky, Martin, and Wood meets Queen. It was kind of like yeah. a bass, organ, and drums kind of punky but also like my, my background was like wire and minutemen and the clash and who's could do and the singer's uh background was like journey and reo speedwagon stuff <laughs> he was in van halen yeah. so like it was kind of like classic like classic rock hooks and melodies but like a real punky edge and, and no guitar it was just bass organ and drums and 
we, we traveled a lot and we put out a bunch of albums in a sh- relatively short period of time. Um, and, and in that group, I started writing a lot. I mean, I'd, you know, done some, you know, when I was younger, but then I, I really dug into it. And I've had a couple of bands. I had a band called Software Giant and a band called Them Versus Them. And I wrote the music for those. And so by the time the Claudettes were here, I'd been writing quite a while. But, you know, there was this great book I, I read where, where um, Duke Ellington was talking about how when someone asked him how did a really inane question they said how did you have how did you score all those hits and he just said I looked around at the people with me at any given time and I said what do these guys do well you know and that's uh-huh. just how we like you know if you've got a drummer who's not going to play a very good samba then you probably shouldn't offer a samba to him this is not going to be very good you know? right you know, right what, what does he do well it's, so I think I've gotten really good at whoever's ships crossing in the night with me right now like these these three people these three great talents and friends that were in this band like what do they do well what what's the best range for her what kind of lines does she seem to really thrive on and which ones are tougher for her and and what kind of you know beat does michael just own and which you know and just kind of kind of take that that approach and then i've just constantly got a notebook full of you know lyrical ideas and sentiments you know and that 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 leads to a pretty consistent string of, of new ideas to work on and everybody in this band mostly cares about that like Playing shows is great and recording is great, but just that moment of creating a new song and then having the kind of butterflies when you're about to go play it for the first time, that's just all of our favorite things. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Do you, when you, uh, when you write songs, do you write the whole thing? Does it kind of come to you as one whole song, or do you there's fiddle been, with there's it? Been some of my favorites that have actually happened almost instantaneously where it really it was like a concept and it just I couldn't write it down fast enough <laughs> and then there's been others that I've whittled away at it for you know maybe months or something until it seems right and I also have somewhere that I feel such a reverence for a kind of wordplay or like a poetic you know device that I came up with that I thought was really good and 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 really at, at whether it's funny or whether it's devastating whatever it is something I really like I'll often take a very long time until I sign off on the music because it's just such a responsibility to to set those sentiments and words to music. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's also plenty of times where I've, you know, I just had a riff or something on the piano that's fun to play, and then I think, what does this sound like? It's trying to say these these notes, and right, these right, patterns, and and then and then write that way, and that's where you kind of come up with more sort of abstract lyrics when it comes out of just more like sonics and and emotions than like a particular notion or idea you started with. Right. And so it sounds like the music comes first and then the uh, lyrics make arise from the lyrics. It, it's, it's one way or the other. It's both, uh-huh. okay. you know, yeah. yeah. But I, I kind of keep a running notebook of just my sister had given me this kind of like diary years ago. And I, it's actually one of my favorite things. I just like, I don't just scribble on anything. I was like, that's my notebook. And it's uh-huh. got a lot of pages in it. And I, and, Still have some left. So that's where all the important like notes what, go. what will I do when I get to the last page in that one? That's my lucky notebook. <laughs> you know? um, but but the, I, I have a really nice piano. I'm really lucky. I have this um, this piano downstairs that's like almost 90 years old, and um, and it's really nice. And it's just really a great gift to be able to just go down there when 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 I have time and and sit there and just I call it Ouija boarding. Just kind of let my hands go where they might and kind of not think about it too much and. And uh, and sometimes that results in something you can keep, and most of the time, you just walk away and say, oh, "I didn't find it today." But <laughs> yeah, it right, right. How often do you get a chance to just sit down and and let your mind go to writing? Well, 
there's a new Claudette song called Exposure, and it's really about how I end up having to spend so much of my time doing everything but the thing that is why I'm in this in the first place, which is this, this talks about, um, you know, between man, band manager and, and record label and, and booking agent and how you can get more on the right playlists and social media and all this stuff. And it's just, oh, God, I, I really, really pretty much despise every element of that. You know, sure, and, yeah. And yet, and yet it's, you know, B.B. King called it paying the cost to be the boss. It's my band. I don't want to, like, shoot myself in the foot. So I have to try to pay attention to all that stuff and make sure the clubs have posters and, and local press and radio knows about the shows. But really, the only, it's just so you can really just focus it down to the most elemental thing, which is just moving yourself with um with music and then once once you move yourself with it it's pretty easy to move people in a room with it you know when the band is the most damning thing i can say about a band when i go to see them if someone says how was that i say oh it's just musicians music you know they're just up there like displaying their skills like i just i have no interest in that i just really want someone who's 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 closing their eyes and getting into a universe of, of emotion and and taking me along with it and when and you know I sat down on a curb and cried before after a really good show and and just uh that's that's where it's at i mean just really if, if a band is really feeling their songs and they came out of them those songs came out of those human beings and they're and they're really putting their heart into it right now then that's just how could you not get moved by it you know and on the other hand how could you if they're if they don't really feel anything if they're just maybe they should have re- quit and broken up already they don't really feel what they're doing yeah that's a as a as a performer that's a lot of pressure and that's uh uh yeah to summon it every time yeah that's yeah it is. it is that's why you feel like it's so precious when it's working and there is something precious right now and the claudettes talk about it a lot that there's no one replaceable in this band we couldn't really have a sub in this band and and it's like yeah i was just talking with barrett about that we were got together at a coffee shop and we were talking about this and that and and really, just like we've all, like everybody, been through a lot of different things, and we all like truly love each other and and care about each other. And and it's, I recognize it's rare. And I've you know been in a lot of bands where I wouldn't say that was the case. So uh, this is like you guys got some real chemistry. Thing. I don't together. take it for granted. And I also know it's gonna, in the scheme of things, it'll be short lived because not everything lasts forever. So it makes it makes each night and each new track you make really special. Yeah, uh, I can see that. That that's where. You know, that's what it's all about, just being in the moment and uh, trying to enjoy each aspect of it and and let it take its let it take its own uh, path there. Are you guys doing a tour? Is that how you're ending up in uh, Three Oaks, Michigan for the show? at At the moment, we're close to what you would call weekend warriors where we're playing either Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays or Fridays and Saturdays around the Midwest. And then. We're going for about nine days to Germany and Switzerland. We got invited to two festivals that are having the Claudettes play some shows and Michael and me playing um, a few duo shows. Um, the, the, both festivals are oriented toward blues, so they wanted to have Michael and me also just do like a sort uh-huh. of how the Claudettes began. Because the, the Claudettes ourselves have really moved away from those beginnings. And there's blues and jazz and soul like American roots music in the Claudettes sound, but it's really... If it had to be filed under something, it would much more be indie rock or indie pop now, as opposed to when it started. It was kind of like I called it gonzo blues or cartoon music, cosmic cartoon music. I think I should. Ah, it. yeah, I can see <laughs> but, that. <laughs> yeah. um, but so um, we're we're doing that, and then when we come back, our summer starts to get ridiculous. Where 
I don't know if we're making up for lost time or what, but I, 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 I had just almost too much success in booking us where I sent out a bunch of feelers to performing arts centers, festivals, theaters, concert series across the country, and I got so many yeses that we had to then, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, great, this place in Denver wants us. Oh, now we have to drive to Denver. We, then you have to start looking at a map. Oh, great, this place in West Virginia wants us and Boston. And so it's a lot of gonna, driving. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to really visit my mechanic a lot and say, you've got to give me your blessing on this vehicle because we, we're going <laughs> to be doubling the mileage of it this year. I'm guessing you don't bring a piano with you. You probably uh, do you have like a keyboard that you like to play that uh, that that's, sounds like know, a that's, piano? That, 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 that's a good question because um, guitar players, of course, and you know, guitar players in particular have like they're like a whole little symphony right in their hand and they can play in their room and everything and warm up and review and refresh and piano it's tough i was saying to the band the other day that i wish we were like a bigger deal and uh, you know uh, higher up in the totem pole than we are so i could have the clout to demand that every green room has a piano in it <laughs> you know, even the I, green room so you can to, fiddle around while you're waiting to get on stage yeah yeah just like also just Sometimes I get so into the muscle memory of what I'm doing that I don't even really think about the chord changes while I'm playing my hands, just do it. And if I start thinking about it, um, I'll mess it up. And I've had that problem since I was eight years old. If I overthink it, it's almost like I think it's like kicking extra points in football. It's like you can't have no technique and not pay attention to what you're doing. But if you if you obsess over it and focus too much, you're going to miss it. Yeah. Like, yeah. What does my leg do here again? How, <laughs> what's the angle of my foot? You know, you can't do that. Yeah. You got to really be in the zone. Um, as, as, as the singer in my band, Oh My God, used to say, be the ball. you got to be the ball. <laughs> you know? That's so, right. Um, so with, 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 uh, with playing, it really helps me before a show to be able to... Sometimes I'll just even run out there where we're about to take the stage, and I'll say, I don't care if people see me. I'm just going to turn, turn the volume at like point, point 0.1 where only I can hear it and just quick watch my hands and review a bunch of the changes and go, okay, I'm ready to do this. But yeah, I, wish I, sure, <laughs> I sure do wish I could have a piano with me at all times and... I had to go and pick like a giant heavy instrument to play, you know. Right. <laughs> I always wish that I played the harmonica or the flute, you know, just put it in your shirt pocket and be done with it. And, and it's always a piano. I mean, you're not playing keyboards and using other tones or anything like that. You're you're not uh, not in this group. I mean, I'm yeah. gonna this week. I, I got asked to take part in a recording project. I'm gonna record myself at home. I'm gonna play my 1945 Hammond CV to a Leslie downstairs in the basement, and I have a whole bunch of different keyboards in this house, but. Yeah, no, that was my idea here. And that's also why it's good, I think, that Zach is involved now, that he has the bass six and he has the bass and he has a pedal board and he changes tones yeah. from clean to dirty to tremolo to echoed. And, and then so mine is kind of a constant. I've become more of like the harmonic driver of the band and have kind of like the, at the center of it, but he's more like like the, 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 the evident flavors on top and the and the icing and the things you notice more. You know, right, way. right. He plays a lot of melodies and adds a lot of, a lot of texture, you know, and I'm sort of like the, I'm, I'm the meat in the sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> the meat in the sandwich. So you, when you go and play somewhere, then you have to use their piano. And how does that? No, I, I, I oh. bring, I bring, I bring a Roland, you know, of all, it, it's, I always try to tell guitar players, imagine if instead of playing a guitar with strings, you were playing some like digital facsimile. It's such a drag, but, but the fact is, that's what I have to do. If, there's a, if we're playing like a really legitimate jazz club or something, and they've got a really good piano, and it's mic'd up, and, 
see, part of the challenge is very often, as I mentioned, I'm the bass player in the band on the piano. Right. So, um, the piano has to be well represented in the in the speakers, and it's got to have some low end, like hopefully through the subs in the room, so so I can be that bass player when I want to be. If they've got all that, then I will use an acoustic piano any day if it's, if it's a good one. Right. But being that that's usually not the case, most places don't have pianos. I have a Roland piano that you know it's like you have to spend like three thousand dollars to get like a good one that that feels like a piano and sounds you know, close enough and is yeah. well made and ready to cart around without breaking so i do have this this digital piano and i'm ha- i'm happy with it i mean it it actually feels kind of sluggish it nothing uh, we just played at city winery in chicago and i was saying to the band afterwards because i got all these great ovations from people in the room i was like see that's because i was playing a real piano and like it feels right and yeah. when i'm playing playing mine it's like somehow like a, it's like a morass you're just like kind of a quagmire you're just kind of your your hands are just kind of like a little bit underwater on these fake keys you know like i go to play a certain run that's fast and kind of blazes by and i can do that on the acoustic piano 10 straight times but on the on my fake one i have to like really concentrate to get it right because the keys just don't snap up like real keys. right i was thinking yeah it doesn't really bounce back the way a real key does with the yeah, I mean, you can have you can have non-weighted keys that that will that you can fly on, but then you don't get the degrees of of decibels that you do with the weighted keys, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like you know the dynamics, the, the sensitivity, touch sensitivity. So, so yeah, it's all it, it's a drag to have to play fake instruments, and <laughs> I, I suspect over time they'll get it better. Fake organs are pretty good because that's like lightweight keys and it's like an electronic sound it makes more sense to me right. that, that would be replicable you yeah know, than like a than a hammer hitting strings in a, inside a wooden box that's <laughs> right they yeah. still don't quite have that down it's almost like making a fake human you know it's like it, it's right right it, it uh you know it's completely analog to something totally digital and and you yeah. can't get the the true tone i don't think or the true the volume yeah. from yeah. you know that you can get with a with a regular piano keyboard, you know, the hardy yeah, press it. to the band too. It's like, I'll bet you with a real piano, when you're hitting a note, there's probably like 80 degrees of volume difference you can get from depending how you strike it. But on the digital one, they probably program like eight or something. You know, it's like, you know, it's, uh, there's limits for sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's more, it's more, um, attenuated, you know, what it, what it offers you. Yeah. Do you uh, do you ever sing when you're when you guys are are do you do any of the singing is what I should say? Yeah, I mean I say sort of like you know like whoever's not singing lead in the clash would sort of like shout in the key. You know, I'm I'm a little more of a shouter. <laughs> Barrett is like an amazing crooner. That's just got this like classic roots voice. She went to jazz vocal school, but she also has always loved country, and she's like exactly halfway between those things. She's got like jazz technique and perfection but sometimes jazz singers to me are are too much of that they're too perfect and they're too spot on and it's kind of clinical sounding and uh, you know it's almost again like somebody riffing like expertly and that's kind of boring and then you got country singers who are just earthy and pure and elemental and she's kind of like sort of in has all that combined what a great mix yeah yeah i don't think you can even really teach it it's just you know i don't care how much someone practices yeah has instruction or studies if she, she probably was pretty much right and the thing that's she really might have seen that as a limitation at one point you know that uh well i'm not quite jazz and i'm not quite uh, yeah, country yeah, and, you're right and this is a right, perfect yeah, outlet maybe. but she's got a really eclectic uh you know uh, taste in music and uh when she's djing as we're driving she's just got the most e- eclectic taste and 
and and um, and 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 her voice kind of reflects that in a way where she isn't in a, in a box. And she very rarely, there's occasionally, occasionally when she's doing something, I'll say, hey, sounds like you're doing your Patsy Cline there or something like that, you know, but most of the time she just sounds like herself and doesn't sound like any one thing in particular and and, it, and, and never sound. And it's it's really good as the writer because I think she's she's able to harness and, and trumpet the emotion of the song because it doesn't sound like she's trying to do a character or that she's like trying to be a type of singer. The, the, the meaning and the heart of the song kind of flows through her very easily. That's great. Yeah. I, and I remember one of your, you know, in your earlier uh, uh, mix of, of players with your band, there was a little bit of a drama to the, um, the non-singing woman who uh, just kind of danced on stage, you know, and this yeah, sounds like more, it's much more, more of a, a genuine. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Actually, she, and she, she studied, that, that was, her name was Yana, and she studied costume design and, and like, and like theatrical, like makeup. That, and that, that was her expertise. And she was really a great figure on stage and she did end up doing oh, some yeah. singing, but, but she's not a singer like, like there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and did did Bear play with any other bands prior to uh, coming with you guys? Yeah, she she's been in some Chicago groups that that were yeah more leaning toward country. Um, but um, she, so she was in Minneapolis, and I think in her youth there she sang like you know in school and maybe some productions of things. But but basically, I think she had only been in in one Chicago band uh, when I uh, started with her. Here. How fortunate that you were able to. Pull oh. these people together, and I mean, because oh, it's I all a little, it for granted. it's oh, all yeah. a little off and, balance, and, you know. It doesn't quite fit in any they, genre. You know, they give themselves to me, and they'll they'll maintain flexible jobs to be able to go out. And if we say, hey, we're, we're got to go out to California, can, can you do these seventeen days? I mean, <laughs> generally, these people say yes to me, and more and more, it's it's financially not feasible. <laughs> to yeah, something like that. You have to just to give up your day and, job like that. Yeah, it's really a testament to um, how much it means to everybody to make themselves available for it. And also, since we all, as I said, since we all really care about each other and we laugh together a lot, it's like nobody is dreading being together. <laughs> you know, right, that, right. Helps. that helps a lot. And there's no like animosity between any two people. It's just so common to have like two people who are oil and water in the group or something. And, right. And, and I, you know, after a previous incarnation of the group. I got really stressed out about sort of exactly that, about just uh, the tension of just being, you know, in, in an assemblage with, with somebody that you probably didn't belong with. And, and I said to myself and others at the time that I think the, the most important thing is the human beings that you've got um, with you, and hopefully they can really play and sing well, too. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, think... not, I'm not doing this anymore with people that are going to just completely stress me out and make me an unhappy person. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless of how good of a musician they are. But it sounds like you've really pulled together some really good musicians that are also good people that, that you all get yeah. along with. Everybody, I look forward to, like, you know, when I know somebody who's going to put us up in their house or something and they don't know the band, I'm like, I can't wait for them to all meet each other because I'll wake up the next morning and Zach will be sitting out having coffee with the person and I'll just hear, like, bellowing laughter out there. I'll be like, oh, see? They love each other, they love each other already. I told, I'm not going to bring some, uh, you know, some, some villain into your house here and everybody in the group is just darling, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what did you guys do during the pandemic when, you know, you couldn't get out there and play places? Because it doesn't sound like you 
did things or you know virtual concerts and things like that but uh no, you know, did you do some writing yeah i started really uh kind of envying some, two two particular people i know um from just my musical travels who who do really well and who are born to be in front of the camera or in the spotlight and they kind of lit up in a way and just sort of were like enjoying just the spectacle of being on camera and and for you know, it, however low fidelity the setup was, or the home recording and filming, and and um, and just kind of clowning for the camera, and it was kind of their bread and butter, and like maybe they would do some low production value, like local TV kind of thing, you know, and and um, ham it up and and put up their Venmo, and I talked to one person who told me that she like made three thousand dollars playing solo piano and singing. And had no expenses, and it was kind of a revelation. Right. Um, and just did a bunch of that, and people were sort of in a giving mood since they knew musicians were terribly suffering. Um, but nobody in the Claudettes hams it up. We're all such very emotional people that, that like, what, I don't know, sort of, uh, we put it all out there, and we, and uh, and nothing's up our sleeve. And like, but it just wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a match for the personality of one single person in this band to just acquire filming and recording uh, equipment and just like weekly do like a talking and state of affairs and talking to people and playing songs and just hamming it up like and begging for money like yeah so everybody managed to get some kind of job um to, to pay their rent um very very few to none of us got any money from the u.s government it's uh, way too uh, complicated <laughs> You yeah. know, it, it, it was not everybody was eligible for it. Uh, as we know, that a, a lot of billionaires swindled the country out of billions, but um, that's separate. Um, but what we did do yeah, was we, one of our early band Zoom calls while we each poured ourselves a drink and were commiserating and talking. We, I said, you know, of all the things, we should make an album now. Because uh, the thing is, our previous album came out April 3rd, 2020, which couldn't have been worse. And we had a little lead time there. To, we could have pulled the plug on it, but we decided no because we're always writing, and I'm not putting these songs on the shelf for a year and a half or whatever it's going to be. <laughs> Who gonna knew be, how long it was going to be? We're going to be done with those songs by then, so yeah. we're going to have new ones that, that, meet, that express where we are now in our journey of life. So, so we said, let's, you know, because we already had a bunch that we had just started playing that we hadn't recorded, and I hadn't been writing more, so that's what we did. We did, we did it pandemic style, where I, I recorded the piano to a click, and then we overdubbed vocals and then went to the studio you know we, we it wasn't considered safe yet to all be in a room together yeah yeah so, so we, we had did to record do it piecemeal and then as things opened up we actually brought out the producer who did high times in the dark and recorded more songs and so in, in all we recorded an album and a half of stuff and i went through it and i thought that that first session the, the piecemeal covid style lockdown recording and then the ones that we did in a room were not going to work well together on an album and i was wrong it's basically it's the same four people same instruments, same hearts and minds, and they play great together. It's really interesting to mix them together. So once again, I feel like our new album that's going to come out in October is our best one. And uh, yeah, it came out of the last two years, and it's a roller coaster, but it's great. You guys seem like a band that really play off each other. You know, you have fun together, and you. it seems like that there would be a lot of you know, onstage collaboration or onstage emphasis that, that you couldn't get from just individuals recording um off of a off of a timer or whatever like that but you're saying that 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 didn't even matter that uh that it that both ways of recording it came out really nicely 
Yeah, yeah. Um, we st- we agonized over the takes. Like when it came time to put down guitars and drums over the piano, um, those guys practiced a lot. Luckily, we've played so many shows together that everyone's quite tight, and we know how to play dynamically with each other and, and to fill the spaces that need filling and to allow the spaces that are already filled to, to be. So um, those guys really put a lot of effort into, okay, I'm gonna, why don't you come to my basement? Everyone, they're wearing masks. They're on 25 feet away from each other. <laughs> but I'm going to play through the PA, the piano and vocals that are already done. And, you, and here's some ideas, and we talked about it, and they just played and played and played until it sounded like a track. And then we went in the studio and recorded it, and you would not know that we weren't in a room at the same time playing it. You know, some of my, when I was a kid, I loved Dinosaur Jr., and Jay Maskett made a lot of those records all by himself. You know, and you, it sounds like a band in a garage, but it's not. It was him one instrument at a time, you know, and so more and that, and more that, that was a lot harder to do back then with uh, analog recording also. Oh, yeah. No, it's true. It's so That's exactly right. I mean, that's what I was going to say is in this age now, the only thing that often is hard to do is to track a whole full drum set really well. But fortunately for most people and the most, most acts that are very successful right now, real drums are out anyway. <laughs> you know, almost everything is beats. So you can do that high fidelity, in high-fidelity fashion, a la Billie Eilish and, and brother, you know, at home. You can do yeah. it with a laptop and some speakers and headphones uh, and a keyboard. Your, uh, your drum drummer is Michael, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his drumming is this real, he has like, what, like um, maybe a, uh, a uh, kick drum and then uh, like a snare and then one other drum. It's, it's a real small um, yeah, he's uh, got a four-piece, really basic drum set for this. Group. And he gets yeah. like so much out of it. He's really um, expressive with that drum set. He's also really, really. My favorite day in the studio is what I call percussion day, where we finished the vocals and piano and keyboards and 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 drums and vocals and all that stuff. And then we're going to listen and go. And Michael's going to keep his list. He's like, okay, I'm going to try cowbell on this. I know I'm doing shaker on this. I'm doing tambourine on this. I'm going to hit this African drum and this thing. He's got a quite a, quite an array of, of, of options in his house. And, and the studios often will have them too. And, and that's when the tracks start to get all the like sprinkle on top or the uh-huh. extra, extra, extra movement within the tracks. And I mean, he added triangle on this last one. <laughs> he, um, we also set up in a room with really tall ceilings and he did a lot of clobbering a floor tom and hitting extra crash cymbals that just make it extremely cinematic and dramatic. And they just are these flourishes and that's just, he's really, he's really excellent. And he also loves oh, doing fun. it. And you can hear, you'll, if you like, you if can, you like, watch hear him the doing smile it, as he's going, him, he's like <laughs> almost laughing maniacally with joy. <laughs> you know, he's doing it cause, How do you duplicate that uh, in, in a live setting though? Uh, you know, he's only one person. Well, that, that's a good that's a good point, and and often what we'll do, especially since when when Ted Hudson, the producer, worked with us on the stuff we just recorded, um, we'll have extra tracks where, it, where we'll, we added Mellotron. He's got these extra percussion overdubs and and lots of extra vocal harmonies, and then we listen to the track. And also, Ted really led the way with changing some of the compositions. Where no, no, you got to repeat that section another time. That section is beautiful. It can't just come and go. You got to do that twice. And this other part, I think, is twice as long as it should be. We're going to cut that down. And you know, we tend to really agree with him. We have great ideas. We've done two albums together now. And so then you listen to what you created, and you go, okay, now how are we going to pull this off live? Right. Because because some bands 
will play to a click and they'll have a lot of backing tracks. And that's just not, we, we, we might as well be a classical group or like a folk trio or something and like how, how sort of organic we are and how much we just like to play instruments and we don't really want to do that. So we'll just get to the skeletal parts of it and, and realize, and Zach has a lot of choices to make because he, he tends to subdivide his bass six in the studio into a bass guitar and a guitar. And then live, sometimes there'll be like a bass line that's really important, but then there's this high guitar rhythm he's doing too. What, you can't do both, and we're going to get a whole other person. And So we just figure out what what is it that gets the heart of the song across. Right, I get And sometimes you. the live arrangement just has to be different. That's just how it is. And you just do trial and error until you feel like, yeah, this song is speaking. I think this song speaks. We can move on to the next one now. Yeah, I, I hear you. So when you guys are on stage, do you ever just kind of jam out and let the let the music flow and, and go with, you know, uh, some spontaneous improvisation? Or um, you pretty much have your songs set and and they have their own life and, and that kind of thing? Well, that's something that I think is, is special about this band is it started off as piano and drums duo and uh, depending on how, how much time we get to play, whether our show is two 70-minute sets or one 45-minute set or any, you know, one long set, whatever, we'll decide how we want to how we want to divide it up for that show and who who are we playing for? Is it a, is it a blues festival or is it like an indie rock bill in a cool right. like club that has hardcore punk too? You know, who are we playing to here? We'll decide what what we think is going to be the most fun for us and for for people watching it. And and some, um, very often we'll have either the start of the show or somewhere in the middle, kind of like an intermission, Michael and I will do the piano drums duo. and um, Or sometimes Zach will play bass on it and we'll do instrumental trio. So, you know, we have some shows coming up where, where we, we're doing two long sets and we're doing 10 instrumentals and probably um, 20 vocal songs, something like that. And in the instrumentals, they're written, but there's improvisation in every one of them. Yeah. And oh, then gotcha. in, the vo- in the vocal songs, there are set sections where either the guitar or the piano has a solo, and depending on the song, it might be four bars or eight bars, or it might just be until the person's good and ready, and they'll look at the band, and we go back to the next part, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but I think we have a good combination of, like... But also, it was, it was really illuminating to me when I was a kid, and I saw... When I was in the Junior Wells Band, and I saw B.B. King at a couple of shows in a row, because we were on some of the same festivals, mm-hmm. I saw his band do the, do the show a couple nights, and I was amazed that everything was identical, including the stage banter. Yeah, oh, you're really kidding. Like the jokes like, on stage? <laughs> everything. Oh, boy. Everything was, it was identical, and I was, like, very impressed. And I was, like, because it really comes <laughs> off as spontaneous and something special for me, the audience, right at yeah. that time. But, in fact, it was, like, really a, a, really <laughs> a, a, a well-oiled machine and, and, a, and a really, um, you know, wise, experienced entertainer. Oh yeah, BB um, King. He's exactly that kind of guy, you know, well-oiled machine. And he had. Oh yeah. He was. Yeah, and you know there are probably sections within solos that are different. It's blues and it's improvised, but but he but probably over time. And I was just saying this to Zach. Zach Zach's been doing some bluesy stuff on that bass six, and I said, you know what, like mess around and do a lot of trial and error at home and find some riffs that you like and weed out the ones that end up sounding corny or cheesy, and then you just don't feel like you. And and then kind of keep a catalog of ones that work and then when you're up there you know present it as like people are along for the ride for some genius you're in your event 
some genius you're displaying right now, right on the spot. But in fact, you've you've honed it a lot. Yeah. Well, and and that's you know keeping like a little bag of riffs in your pocket there. That's that's a perfect way to to come into a improvisational set and uh, being able to make it sound fresh, but as well. Yeah. Are you? Did we lose you? Uh Oh, I think I lost you. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I can hear you. You hear me? I can hear you, yeah. All right, we got that technical difficulty resolved, I believe. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we were talking about how, um, and, and, you know, listen, from, from my perspective, maybe that's what's been going on all the time, that, that uh, bands who seem like they're making it up on stage, they, they've already kind of figured out that this is what they're going to do when they've got a chance to break out and do something fresh and new. So yeah, <laughs> at I mean, least... the, the, the challenge is that you've got to do what, you know, uh, when someone plays a good solo, you call it like telling a story, you know, it's got to, it's got to build towards something and take you along on a ride. And sometimes oh. that's something you can devise the whole thing. But as you said, having like a bag of riffs, things that you like to do, that's good, but you still have to string them together in a yeah. way that moves people and is exciting. And, and that's where the, that's where a lot of the spontaneity comes in. It's just any given night with the energy in the room, how do you assemble them correctly? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I see. So uh, with Junior Wells, how, how long were you playing with him, and, and uh, what did you do after that ended? That was I, I played with him for three years, um, and to be honest, when I joined the group, um, I was really young, and I was, I was an East Coast white Jewish kid, and the entire band was older African-American experienced seasoned musicians, and it was a real education. It was a real, like, culture trip. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. really cool. Um, I loved it, and, and I learned a lot, and I had really great adventures. And then over time, some people came and went from the band, and soon there were a bunch of guys like me in the band, like young white guys, and I just started to find it less interesting. <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't feel like I, these guys that were my age coming into it from outside, like me, had much to teach me. Like I, Like, the, you know, the members of the band when I joined had been in, had been B.B. King's band leader and had been in Magic Sam's band and had played with Buddy Guy and had played with James Cotton and Screaming, Screaming Jay Hawkins. And I was like wow. surrounded by people with stories and musical wisdom. And and um, they, they were really good to me, you know. Um, and so I, I got a little bored with that element of it. And I was just ready to stop also touring so much. I mean, I'm, I was married and my wife moved out here from the East Coast. And I was gone 35 days at a time, and I'd come home and do laundry and go out for another 35 days. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tough Um, way to stay married. So I needed to stop doing that. Um, And so I I went and got it. I left that and and got a job, but but I still got hired to tour with Otis Rush, who was another big hero. Oh, yeah, Otis Um, Rush. Yeah, and, and, you know, got to be on many great recordings. I got to play on three Grammy-nominated albums and play with, like, I'd say most of the, most of the, best known and revered, you know, living blues people I got to either play on a bill with or play in their band or record with them. Yeah, time. yeah. And, you know, there's also not that many piano players, so I got more Pine calls Perkins. to be on sessions that then, you know, there's more guitar players and bass players and stuff. So right. so I got a lot of calls from really great people and so I've 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 continued to record all these years and play on some great albums and I've gotten to tour all around Asia and South America and you know, mid, um, Middle East even. Wow. So you do so, session work too, I think. I think you might have uh, had that yeah. s- slip out earlier. And yes, I'm doing some 
I'm going to do two different ones the next two days here. It, so. so that must be kind of interesting, breaking away from your regular way of playing and then uh, really having to fit in with a, another whole group or uh, someone else's ideal of what that sound or that song should sound like. Yeah, I mean, most of the, most of the stuff that comes my way, uh, you know, I'm known as a blues piano player, so I get calls to do that. But, but I also have a very you know, diverse um, background playing, and, and so that, that helps me be able to not only get re- requests from other sessions, but to do well in them because I... I, I'm not like a blues a square peg in a round hole playing a blues guy playing, you know, on, on a, I, I feel like some people are like jazz guys and they're really, really great jazz players. But you put them in a blues situation, you would think jazz is for geniuses and blues is for like, you know, oafs or something. You know, blues is so simple and jazz is so, you know, is so it's like it's like Ph.D. music, you know. Right, um, right. And very often I find I don't really like the way this jazz guy plays blues. Like it should be like totally you know, easy, you know, for him, but, um, but, but, you know, I, I don't think I've ever really just been, um, so deep into one kind of music that I, it still sounded like that when I played another kind. Uh Yeah. Right. Right. I've always listened to and played so many different kinds of music and it's probably not professionally advisable to be so diverse, but it's, but it's just, how I've been since I was. But, but that's what gives you the range. And with this group, you're able to, um, take it in different directions. I mean, already since 2013, you know, when you guys, it was a two-person band and, and you were uh, mostly blues, and now you've taken it into a different kind of a realm. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to uh, appreciate your the inputs that you've gotten from other sources and stuff. Uh, yeah, I think no, that I mean, this, this night, is what makes you grow as a, a musician. We, we, we played a city winery in Chicago for a, you know, some of a sophisticated musical crowd there, and we finished one of our weirdest songs of the night, and I finished, and I said, well, now you can tell your friends you went out to see a jazz band tonight. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, any kind of music you call the Claudette starts to become a joke, you know, laugh-inducing joke, because it really is. And, and yet I think we sound like ourselves. We're not like by, by design eclectic in a way that's meant to trick anybody or something. It's just like that's what comes out when we are all together, and we keep the tone pretty uniform but but in terms of what genre we fall into um some, i kept in my bulletin board something i really enjoyed when we played in dubuque iowa someone said i kept a running list of what i heard as the influences and the different songs you guys were doing and i still have it here on this postcard he wrote bjork meets fleetwood mac radiohead <laughs> meets bonnie Raitt, debbie gibson meets motorhead feist meets steely dan kinks meet mc5 everly brothers meet rush ELO meets Ray Charles, Chuck Berry meets Daft Punk, Foreigner meets Nine Inch Nails, Air Supply meets Yes, and Nina meets Bowie. Oh, and then he wrote Pink Floyd meets Bob Seger. <laughs> Pretty funny. That's amazing. That's, that hits it right on the head. I mean, there's, you guys do not sound like anybody else. You know, you're doing your own thing. That's, that's the fun of it. And, uh, and then the music itself is fun. You know, it's like just stomping good time kind of fun. Um, it makes it really hard for the label when we all get together on a conference call, they'll say, okay, we got to pitch these songs to the Spotify playlist. Like, which, which playlist do you think we should, we should pitch to? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 like, I like, I mean, I, Roots Rising or, you know, you know, like, I guess we're Roots music, but like a lot of the, a lot of the designations and algorithms just are, are like, it's like, no, oh, I, know. I can, yeah. I can check nope on everything, but I don't know how many <laughs> things I can say. Yes, that's what we are. It, very often you have to choose from six different genres. I'm like, ah, right. That's, 
leave that to someone else. Genres barely exist anymore. Everyone's got their own in between kind of uh, sound. And As it uh, should be. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really looking forward to seeing you on May 7th when you come up here. Uh, do you have any uh, big shows coming up in between now and then? Um, well, we're playing actually in, um, in Aurora, Illinois, um, Friday. With, um, I, I designed this bill myself. We're playing on a bill with Lurie Bell. Lurie's from a famous Chicago blues family, the Bells. His dad was Carrie Bell, who played in Muddy Waters Band, and, and Lurie's had his own great career for since, since you know, I don't know, 30 years or more. Um, and uh, he's, he's really great, and I asked him to play with his band on that bill. So there'll be some people out oh, to, see, be great. to see him, and which, which is why I designed a, a, a set of ours that isn't going to be too shocking for people because uh, I wanted to at least have some reference points that maybe they'll appreciate. Right, but right. we're playing with him there, and then we play um, in uh, Rockford, which is a uh, home of... Um, of um, cheap trick. Yep, yep. Yeah. Miles Nielsen. He's uh, he's yeah. a regular over in this area. We, yeah, he was I here a couple weeks ago. Acorn, right? Yeah, he's played at the Acorn a bunch of times. He plays at the Acorn like every quarter, <laughs> and it's a oh, delight. Okay. I mean, he's so much fun. Well, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So we're playing there. You know, the, the uh, Bun Bunny is the uh, is the Monday night house band there. You know, the drum Carlos Carlos. What is it? What is it? Bunny Carlos. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. uh huh. The, the cheap trick drummer is the like house band of of, of the place we're playing in. Yeah. In Rockford at Mary's, and then we're playing in, in Ann Arbor, and then we yeah we play there in Three Oaks, and then we go to Germany and Switzerland, and then we come back and play the summer camp festival. That's a few hours. Sure, summer of camp out of Chillicothe, Illinois, exactly. near Peoria. Yep. Well, I, yeah, I went there for about the, 10 years in a row for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah we're was, playing on the last Saturday of uh, May there. Oh, man, that's going to be great. Well, Johnny, um, happy to talk with you. Johnny Iguana from the Claudettes, and they're playing at the Acorn Theater on May 7th. Don't miss it. And, Johnny, thanks again. Take care. Thank you so much, man. Well, what a pleasure that was. Johnny Iguana from the Claudettes. Um, and you're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. I'm John Goldman, and we're on Radio Harbor Country, WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Good night, everybody. <laughs>